it's really hard to go out and speak to every delivery team, every workload owner, every person who owns a thing that operates in your system. Whereas if you can make utilizing this model a part of the way your teams do work, everyone can self-manage that to some degree. And I think that's a huge benefit of what this tool makes available to the entire organization. You're listening to Azure Success, the podcast by and for Azure professionals. Listen in and you'll be sure to speed your customer's march into the cloud. And now, your host, Lois Berman. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Azure Success, the podcast by and for Azure professionals. I'm very pleased today to have, well, this is the first time on this podcast I've ever had two guests. I have David Stanford, a PPM on the Microsoft Azure Well Architected Framework team, and Jason Roberts, a PPM manager. We'll ask him what that means a little later on. But, you know, it's going to be an interesting show all around today. I am in my office in Pennsylvania, and it's starting to biblical rain with lots and lots and lots of thunder, which is hilarious when you're trying to uh, record a podcast. But in either case, I'm very pleased to have David and Jason. Hey, guys, why don't you say hi and introduce yourselves a little bit? Hello, everyone. My name is David, as Lewis shared with you already. I've been on this team for probably two and a half years now. You know, the important thing to say about, about David is he has lots of dinosaurs in his yard. Now, not real dinosaurs, they're skeletons, actually, and they're plastic. So, you know, not like my paleontologist's brother-in-law's, but, but apparently he's overrun with them. Maybe we'll get him to talk about that a little bit. So, so Jason, what about you? I'm Jason Roberts. I've been with the team for about a year and a half at this point, and I've been doing cloud migration building stuff for probably the last five years. But I'm excited to be here to chat with you. Excellent. Well, so it turns out that your notice about your product was like one of those kismet moments, right? It is like, we'll talk in a second what it's about, but you know, very often as a cloud solutions architect, that's what I do at Microsoft, I'm casting about for some solution to solve one thing, you know, I don't know, databasing or some solution to solve, you know, networking of a particular type. And it turned out I was really casting about for just all sorts of architectural goodness and understanding what well-architected was for one of my clients. And then, bang, I get a notice from you guys. So I was very, very pleased to learn about this. So tell me, what is the well-architected framework? And we're going to have to come up with a smaller name. I'm really bad about that. <laughs> yeah, so, so the well-architected framework is really intended to help the field and our customers and our partners take a workload that they have or that they want to build and optimize it against the five pillars in the well-architected framework that we, we talk about. So the five pillars are reliability, cost optimization, security, operational excellence, and performance efficiency. So as you kind of work through a particular workload, you're going to have a set of business requirements that you need to meet to actually make that workload effective. And then Along with those business requirements, you have, you're going to have functional requirements that you have to take into consideration. So, for example, you may need to optimize for reliability for a mission-critical workload, but cost still matters to the business. So this is really intended to help you kind of balance between those two competing priorities and help you find the best way to optimize that workload. Excellent. And so who would be a target for this? Who would use it? Who would benefit? So there's a variety of folks who could or should be using this. The primary audience that 
our content and assessment and learning modules are really for is for solutions architects and then workload owners. So a workload owner could be anyone from a developer to an SA to potentially even like an ITVM. An ITVM, an SA. What's an SA? What's an ITVM? Oh, (laughs) great question. So an SA is solutions architect. And then ITDM is an IT decision maker. By the way, just for you know, I'm a cloud solutions architect, but we are anti-acronyms here. WizBlap, FopDapa, we refuse to use them. Wow, that was a lot of thunder. This is going to be a very interesting podcast. Okay, so you have this framework. Where can people even start playing around with it? Can you quote off the actual place they can download this? And remember, it's a radio. We need something exact. Something exact. We can. I can do that. We even have an AKA short link. So super easy. Beautiful. So it's aka.ms slash forward slash slash architecture and then slash framework. Oh, I think even I could remember that. That's, yeah, that's it's, excellent. It's pretty straightforward. And then there's one other to call out, and that's our assessment which kind of helps you assess your workload. It's question and answer format, and that's aka.ms forward slash architecture forward slash review. Got it. Is it a wizard-like experience or is it just a bunch of questions? So today it's very question and answer focused. We're looking at ways to make it also be wizard-like. Excellent. Excellent. And have people started to be using this? It's brand new, right? Am I correct? You're, you've announced it sort of, but you haven't announced it very widely and you're going to be announcing it any days. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's, it's been announced. So we announced it at Inspire. We had, we had a blog post oh, about it. Oh, I got it. But we're absolutely still iterating and building out functionality and features in both the platform and the set of content we have. Oh, go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, uh, and I know we talked about the review as well for the assessment, and as, as you had mentioned, whether it's wizard or question and answer, that aspect of it is still kind of in a preview mode. So we do expect to see some changes in the near term in that part of the experience particularly. That's, That's a great cool. caveat. I just wanted to follow up on your, you started asking a question about what people were saying. We actually just had a cool quote come through yesterday. So I have that top of mind. This is what they said. I'll say that going through this with the customer led to some really great discussions and insights into their environment, processes, and procedures that will help us build trust and identify the best solutions for them. Excellent. So, you know, I'm not a wizard. I can't predict things, but I bet my editor is going to put that at the beginning of this podcast. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty great quote. I was, really, I was really pleased when it came through. Yes, exactly. So I'm very interested in this sort of stuff because as it turns out, Azure isn't business like usual, right? It is the way we approach modern application development, or should, in my opinion, is different than perhaps we've all grown up working on-prem, working with monolithic apps or or apps that have relatively few moving parts. Uh, A more modern Azure app has dozens of parts in many cases all interlocking. Today, I, I showed a very simple example of how to use Cosmos DB with Blazor, Azure Functions, App Service, and storage, right? And, you know, it ha- oh, and it had SignalR in it, right? The point is, once upon a time, 
that would have been like a crazy thing. Oh my God, you did all these pieces. And, and now this was something I whipped together in a couple of hours to do a demo for a couple of folks. So understanding architecture is near and dear to my heart and I think really important. Can I ask an architecture question? I, I mean, you guys are not just prescriptive. I assume you've looked at good architectures and what have you. Can you tell me some things that have come up, some learnings that you've had from this or some some things that are revealed through the framework? Yeah, and it's actually interesting. I know earlier you said you were poking around looking for an answer and this just came across your page. This is a new aspect of kind of a larger body of work that is the Azure Architecture Center, which has been the home for a bunch of best practice type stuff. We have some conceptual things in there just to think about when you're building in the cloud and distributed systems in general. We have some great design patterns that people should look to utilize when building systems with dependencies like this. But in terms of like those, and those are really about learning how to be better at doing this kind of work, they are somewhat prescriptive, but it really still leaves a lot of the interpretation to the user to know whether it's an appropriate case for this or that. But as we go through these assessments, some of the things that we really have learned or seen is often, unfortunately, Reliability in particular is one of those things that people tend to not prioritize until they have their first event. And then they have to go back. And it's really, a lot of times you'll just throw a larger whatever at it, depending on what happened to fail. But really, if you want to get the benefit of being in the cloud, there usually are some architecture designs to be made. Do you put this thing behind load balancers? How are you addressing your scaling for this? We didn't realize that this was a constraint to begin with. We didn't know that compound SLA was a thing and we weren't looking across the stack to determine these. It's like, well, we thought it was pretty good, so we just shipped it. And that really is often how these conversations start. And it's a really, really meaningful thing that the assessments will help bring up so that someone can learn it before they have to have that that event that has downtime, that has a material impact for them. It turns out that Programming and developing and deploying for the cloud is rather involved, right? Does this help people get a handle and start in it? Or is this uh, really for experienced programmers, coders, IT people, whoever? I would say that it addresses both audiences. For someone who's new to the environment, it helps them know what questions they should be asking. In many cases, they haven't been through this before. They're not deeply involved in understanding what these trade-offs, they they don't understand what using your computing resources like a utility means to them. And by guiding you through this, these concepts will be introduced to them and they'll be able to be thoughtful about them. And then the flip side of it is for very advanced people, even if you're great at this, there are a lot of things to continue to remember. And so by being able to use this over time, you A, can make sure you didn't forget anything, but B, if you use it like quarter over quarter, month over month, depending on the criticality of the workload, you can continually improve those workloads to be better. And you may have business goals that may move, you may have dependencies that may change. And so continuously using this to make sure you're tuning your workloads to meet your needs really is something that regardless of your expertise would be would be valuable to you. Got it. And just so I'm clear about this, this isn't a one and done, right? This is now going to be another one of themes uh, developed at Microsoft and expanded upon, right? So architecture isn't done. And I, I think you guys are just at the beginning of this journey, really even though it's building upon things that exist. Is that right? Yep, that's absolutely right. It's Ultimately, you're never really done with your workload and how it's architected. 
things change both underneath you and as you move forward. New services are introduced that could potentially decrease your cost. New methodologies or or services even are built out that can improve your reliability or your operational posture. So if you just stop after the first review, you're not going to be able to take advantage of all the changes that are coming, both in the platform itself and in the industry and how folks are thinking about things. Mm-hmm. So this sounds great. And like I said, this was something that I was looking for personally, so I was very pleased by. But I'm a customer. Why should I really care? You know, I mean, there's, there's so much. It's so complicated anyway. Why is this for me? I think that complication that you pointed out there is is actually one of the key reasons to do this. It's really hard to go out and speak to every delivery team, every workload owner, every person who owns a thing that operates in your system. Whereas if you can make utilizing this model a part of the way your teams do work, everyone can self-manage that to some degree. And then you can use the central tools to find the outliers. You'll always be looking at your budgets. You'll always know, assuming you're using tagging and things like that, which parts are spending a ton of money. And then you can go have more tailored conversations. But if everyone is doing the things to keep their house in order and to meet their business requirements, you can do that in parallel. And I think that's a huge benefit of what this tool makes available to the entire organization rather than the few people that you might have a direct touch point with. Speaking of tagging, which I think is really, really important, can I tell you a funny story from yesterday? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so I am doing a session with a working workshop session with a group of people who are pretty new to Azure. And so we're we're doing great. We're moving technology. We're setting up services and stuff. Then we get to the point of setting up tags. And you know where I borked entirely? It wasn't physically setting up tags or just explaining how they worked or anything. It was being semantic in the right way to say what tags should be, what would be useful. You know, it is, should it be division? <laughs> should, should it be use? Should it, should it be cost factor? I, I don't know what the possible tags would be. It turns out that, and I have the same problem, by the way, with naming resources. Firstly, it's technically hard in Azure since you use different characters naming a storage account versus a web server versus a network versus everything. But the point is, I find sometimes these little details of how to even approach and think about stuff going. So I don't know if you address tagging and semantics and figuring out naming and stuff like that, but that'd be a great thing. It, it turns out it punches way above its weight. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Tagging is one of those things that I think people take for granted initially, or they don't bring enough structure to the plan for it. And then if you don't have that, it's really hard to search. It's really hard to aggregate. You don't get all the value out of it. Part of uh, what we do as the Patterns and Practices team, the Azure Architecture Center, which I had mentioned, the well-architected framework, what we're talking about now, we also have produced the cloud adoption framework. Inside that is focused a little bit more on kind of how the organization approaches it. And so some of the more central concerns are included there. That does have some content on how to identify a naming strategy, what your organization should set as mandatory tags on resources. And I do believe we also have some content on which services require, like the actual naming requirements uh, in there as well. But by all means, I would recommend looking through the cloud adoption framework for the best practices as well. Excellent. And if I may give myself a promo or a tag or something, I don't know what. A recent episode on the podcast was with Jay Kamara. Actually, who I said, Jay Kamara, 
CAF super, superstar, as in cloud adoption framework superstar. And so everything is all in the same vein. So this is really, really great. So I'm going to bring it home. But Jason, it seems to me with it pouring rain and thundering around here that you had a sort of similar experience. Rain just shows up in the wrong place for you. It's like you've lived in Seattle for 15, 20 years, I think you said, but but you visited a bunch of times and never rained and you didn't really know it rained in Seattle or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, the first few years I was out doing summer adventure trips when I was younger. And so I biked across the country one summer. I did a bike trip from here to Vancouver and then down to San Francisco along 101. So I visited like three years in a row and I never saw a drop of rain. I was like, there's beautiful <laughs> mountains. There's, you know, it's green. There's beautiful water. This is awesome. And then I looked for jobs here and I got a job and I moved out in February. And I had a very different, <laughs> had a very different experience at that point. Well, I, I don't know if you know listeners can hear. It is it must be like that. It's pounding thunder right now. It's, it's cracking me up. So anyway, there's one more big set of questions I want to ask you. And you know, so this this podcast more than anything else is for Azure sellers, people who are selling Azure either in a commercial sense as Microsoft employees, but more importantly people who want to influence people who they work with to say, hey, Azure's the right thing to do. So how do you sell the, and I'm, I'm looking at my notes again, because I swear I can't say this in one mouthful, the Microsoft Azure well-architected framework to your colleagues? So we're actually working pretty closely with the field and with, with a variety of teams to integrate this into the sales process naturally. You actually don't have to sell it necessarily, is really intended to help you help your customers. I mean, for example, we talked about the five pillars at the beginning of the call today, and really nobody is an expert in all of them. So as you go through the well-architected review and framework, it gives you a consistent way to talk about those pillars and get information to really help you sell Azure. You don't need to go in and sell the framework to the customer so much as use it to drive your discussions. Got it. So, well, this is great. I want you to, each of you, leave me with one favorite thing you really like about the framework. And my UPS, by the way, just just blinked. So so say it fast, because I may run out of power. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. My favorite thing about the framework is really facilitating those consistent conversations with customers and really empowering the customers to dig into those things themselves. Excellent. And Jason? Yeah, I was going to take a slightly different approach to it, but I think the theme is the same. At the end of the day, this is a tool that like helps those customers and organizations be effective in this way. In moving to the cloud, and uh, you know, people talk about the democratization of information and things like that. More people, more individual developers have more power than they did before, and helping them make choices that they know are more optimal, that they can do their job better, that they can make better choices. I think our mission is to, you know, help every person and organization in the planet achieve more. And I think this is like a great example of how we can do that, make that population just more effective at their job. Excellent. Well, this has been great. I've been talking with David Stanford and Jason Roberts about the Microsoft Azure Well-Architected Framework, something that I'm starting to use, and I very much recommend that you guys do too. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Azure Success, the podcast by and for Azure professionals. You can visit our website, azure-success.com, for show notes, helpful links, and other episodes but also to leave your questions, comments, and suggestions. Thank you for listening.